All right, welcome back to Healthspan. This is part five of The Cancer Code by Dr. Jason Fung. In this episode, I'll be primarily discussing the Warburg effect and also be discussing invasion and metastasis and also summarizing Cancer Paradigm 3.0. Now, before I begin, if you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to please leave a review. And I'll go ahead and leave my Instagram in the episode description if you want to send me a DM letting me know that you're enjoying this podcast. So the Warburg effect. So Otto Warburg was a German researcher who obviously the Warburg effect was named after. His life's goal was to understand one question, which was how did cancer cells differ in their energy metabolism from normal cells? So let's do a quick run through of metabolism. So cells can generate energy in the form of ATP in two different ways. One of the ways is called oxidative phosphorylation otherwise known as respiration, and the other way is called glycolysis, also called fermentation. Now, oxidative phosphorylation occurs in the mitochondria, and it burns each glucose molecule with oxygen to generate 36 ATP. Now, without oxygen, normal cells must resort to glycolysis, which generates only 2 ATP and 2 lactic acid molecules per glucose molecule. So oxidative phosphorylation requires oxygen, and occurs in the mitochondria. Glycolysis does not occur in the mitochondria and does not require oxygen. Oxidative phosphorylation produces 36 ATP, while glycolysis only produces 2 ATP and also 2 lactic acid molecules uh, per glucose molecule. Now, cells generating a lot of energy using oxidative phosphorylation naturally require a lot more oxygen. And Warburg noted this phenomenon when he observed these sea urchins, uh, fertilized sea urchin eggs, growing rapidly. So he speculated that rapidly growing cancer cells would also consume oxygen. But he was actually wrong in his initial hypothesis. And in 1923, Warburg noticed with some amazement that fast-growing rat tumor cells use no more oxygen than regular cells. So the cancer cells were instead using 10 times more glucose and producing lactic acid at 70 times the rate of normal. So Warburg calculated that tumor cells cells converted an astounding 66% of the glucose they took up to lactate. So they weren't using oxidative phosphorylation, they were using glycolysis, because remember glycolysis produces ATP and lactate. Now despite the readily available availability of oxygen, cancer cells were generating energy using the less efficient glycolysis pathway. So remember, 2 ATP versus 36 ATP. And this surprising process is now referred to as the Warburg effect. So let me repeat that again. Despite the readily availability of oxygen, cancer cells were generating energy using the less efficient glycolysis pathway. Warburg effect. Now, why on earth would cancer cells choose a less efficient manner Uh, of energy extraction, this less efficient uh, mode of generating energy. So because oxygen is plentiful, Warburg decided that it must be the mitochondria that are dysfunctional within these cancer cells, forcing the cancer cell to revert to the less efficient glycolysis pathway. So Warburg hypothesized that cancer cells, cancer was caused primarily by mitochondrial dysfunction. So that makes common sense, right? If the mitochondria don't work, you can't undergo oxidative phosphorylation. So that's what Warburg thought originally. But 
Many observations argue against his initial hypothesis. Mitochondria from cancer cells often function normally with preserved respiration. Most cancer cells have normal mitochondrial function, meaning they aren't exclusively reliant on, gly- on glycolysis for energy production. They could actually switch back to oxidative phosphorylation if necessary. So cancer was not being forced to use glycolysis. It was choosing to use glycolysis. But again, why was it choosing a less efficient pathway? Well, it was neither a coincidence nor a mistake. Um, It must confer some selective advantage. But what was it? So cells need more than just energy to grow. They also need basic building blocks. And because we are carbon-based life forms, our cell growth is reliant on carbon to build basic molecules. During oxidative phosphorylation, the more efficient pathway, most of the carbons in the glucose are metabolized for energy, leaving behind carbon dioxide, which is exhaled. During glycolysis, only a small percentage of carbons are completely burned for energy, and the leftover carbons can be metabolized into carbon building blocks to make new amino acids and fatty acids. So to summarize that point, glycolysis uses less carbon molecules. Those leftover carbon molecules can be used for other things for, to continue building. And he has a great analogy here. So consider this analogy. Building a house requires both energy, which is the hard work of the builders, and materials, which are the bricks. Having builders but no bricks is useless. Similarly, rapidly, can- grow- rapidly growing cancer- cancers require both energy, ATP, and materials, carbons. Oxidative phosphorylation generates pure energy alone, which does not maximize growth. So glycolysis, the less efficient pathway, better supports rapid growth because it provides both energy and materials, while oxidative phosphorylation generates only pure energy. This may explain the advantage of the Warburg effect for cancer growth. So Warburg believed that cancer was solely dependent on glucose for energy, but this was not entirely true. Cancer was also metabolized, uh, cancer can also metabolize glutamine, and more recent studies show that cancer may also metabolize fatty acids and other amino acids as well. Cancer competes with other cells for fuel in a crowded environment. So having this flexibility to to use a variety of fuels, not just glucose, is really advantageous uh, for their growth. Now, while Warburg, while his hypothesis original, um, while his original hypothesis may not have panned out, his hunch that cancer's metabolism was vitally important was spot on. So the Warburg effect did have a purpose. It provided cancer cells with this strategic advantage in their struggle for survival. And one of those advantages is, again, that production of lactic acid. So again, glycolysis produces two ATP and two lactic acid molecules. So the large volume of lactic acid produced during the Warburg effect was not a waste product, which is what most people assumed, uh, but it was actually a major benefit, and it provided cancer cells with a significant survival advantage. So we're going to jump into why exactly lactic acid is so important for uh, cancer survival. So as a tumor grows, new cancer cells crop up farther and farther away from the main blood supply that provides oxygen and clears waste products. So cells closer to the blood supply or closer to the blood vessels are well supplied and thrive really well. 
because they have that oxygen nearby. But cells farther away do not get enough oxygen to survive. And in between these two regions is an area known as the hypoxic zone, where cells receiving barely enough oxygen to survive activate an enzyme called hypoxia-inducible factor, or HIF-1. So, again, these cancer cells who are barely surviving on oxygen, they produce their own enzyme called hypoxia-inducible factor. Now, what does hypoxia-inducible factor do? So, hypoxia-inducible factor stimulates the release of vascular endothelial growth factor, or VEGF, which promotes the growth of new blood vessels. Now, new blood reserves deliver more oxygen and allow the tumor to grow larger. So remember, back in the very first podcast of the Cancer Code, I went over the hallmarks of cancer. One of the hallmarks of cancer was inducing angiogenesis, and this is the exact way cancer does it. It activates hypoxia-inducible factor, which activates VEGF. VEGF grows more blood vessels. So inducing angiogenesis, again, is one of the key hallmarks of cancer. Now, secondly, hypoxia-inducible factor makes it easier for the normal stationary cells to become more mobile as well. So the adhesion molecules that anchor cells to their proper position are disrupted, and the basement membrane, which is underneath the cells, um, they get eroded and are degraded by the hypoxia-inducible factor. And this makes it a lot easier for cells to quote-unquote, active, activate invasion and metastasis. So remember, again, this is another hallmark of cancer. Cancer cells can activate invasion and metastasize. Again, this is under the effect of hypoxia-inducible factor. Now, what else does HIF do? So because oxygen is scarce, HIF reprograms the cell's metabolism from oxidative phosphorylation and towards glycolysis. And because more glucose is needed for energy production, hypoxia-inducible factor increases the expression of cellular glucose receptors. At the same time, hypoxia-inducible factor decreases the production of new mitochondria, which are essential for oxidative phosphorylation. So in essence, hypoxia-inducible factor is responsible for the phenomenon known as the Warburg effect, which again is another hallmark of cancer. So the Warburg effect is not simply a metabolic mistake. It provides cancer cells with a unique survival advantage when competing against other cells. So to continue with lactate and why lactate is so important with uh, cancer survival. So cancer cells produce lactic acid during glycolysis and they dump that acid into the surrounding environment in the same way a chemical plant might dump toxic waste in its, in, to its surrounding. And again, this is no coincidence, this is not an accident. And the lactic acid is not just some waste product. So compared to normal cells, which live in an environment of a pH of 7.2 to 7.4, tumors generate surrounding microenvironment of pH 6.5 to 6.9. So the lower the pH, the more acidic the environment is. Normal cells have a pH of about 7.2 to 7.4. Tumor cells generate this environment of a pH of 6.5 to 6.9. So why do cancer cells put so much more effort into acidifying the surroundings. This is because the acidity gives the cells a huge survival advantage. Normal cells are injured in an acidic environment like 6.5 to 6.9 and have to undergo the process of apoptosis, which is programmed cell death, while cancer cells can actually tolerate this acidity fairly well. So this is a sort of game 
between normal cells and cancer cells. And the cancer cells, they destroy the normal cells by creating this acidic environment. So the caustic acidic environment degrades the extracellular matrix, which is the normal supporting structure of the cell. And this allows for cancer cells to invade through the basement membrane more easily, which again is an important prerequisite for metastasis. So to summarize again, the increased lactic acid from the Warburg effect does many things. It suppresses normal cell function. It can degrade the extracellular matrix, which facilitates invasion. It can provoke inflammatory responses and growth factor secretions. It reduces an immune response, and it can also increase angiogenesis. This, again, is what lactic acid uh, does to help our cancer cells survive. So I talked a lot about invasion and metastasis, and I'm going to dig deeper into uh, more about invasion and metastasis of cancer cells. So the National Cancer Institute defines metastasis as, quote, the spread of cancer cells from the place where they first formed to another part of the body. That's metastasis. Cancers are categorized normally as either being benign or malignant. Both types of cancer cells behave identically, uh, identically in all respects, except that benign cancers lack this metastatic ability and therefore cause almost no significant disease. So that's what, so if someone asks you what makes the difference between a benign cancer versus a malignant cancer, the answer is the ability to metastasize. So why would the cancer direct massive resources towards metastasis uh, to different places of the body before it spreads? So Jason Fung has this unique theory that contrary to belief, metastasis is actually an early process. So we always think about tumor progression as growth, invasion, and metastasis. But Jason Fung kind of hypothesizes that metastasis actually occurs a lot earlier than we think. So a cancer is stage four when it metastasizes to another part of the body. It's automatically stage four if, it, if it's metastasized. But um, according to these circulating tumor cells, um, recent technology and uh, technological advances have allowed us to detect cancer cells in the bloodstream. And these are these circulating tumor cells or CTCs. And Again, recent technology um, has allowed us to track these circulating tumor cells and shows that they actually metastasize a lot earlier than we think. So large numbers of circulating tumor cells are continually breaking off from the primary tumor, but they are often destroyed quickly uh, in the bloodstream, which is why metastatic cancer is rarely detectable at this early stage. And it is extremely difficult for these circulating tumor cells to establish a permanent colony, even with millions of cancer cells flooding into the bloodstream every day. So most circulating tumor cells are simply killed off, but a lot of times they're not. And early metastatic cells may lodge into some protected niches uh, for many years, hiding from the anti-cancer forces. So they're able to hide and sort of evade the immune system of our body. So he then kind of talks about these circulating tumor cells that actually make their way back to the original site uh, from where they metastasize from. And the primary tumor becomes replaced with a more aggressive strain. 
And these new circulating tumor cells being shed into the bloodstream are now the progeny of this strain. So they release from the original site, go around the body, and then come back uh, kind of more villainous to the original site. And this self-seeding process explains the genetic diversity within the primary tumor site. So this is the idea of intratumoral heterogeneity, which is just a fancy word for stating that within a cluster of a tumor, not, they're not, all the cells in that cluster are not the same. They have genetic diversity. So the cancer cells within a single tumor are not made up of a single genetic clone. There are multiple different clones within the same tumor mass, reflecting the different waves of immigration and self-seeding. So remember, during the first and second uh, podcast of this, of this series, I talked about how it's so hard to develop gene therapy because not all the, there's all these mutations in a single gene, and it's not all one mutation. There's multiple mutations in different cells within the same tumor. So this is why it's so hard. This is why cancer is so difficult. Um, so again, Cancer Paradigm 3.0, which is the, this evolutionary model, uh, can really be divided into three different phrase, phases. So first is like this transformation phase. So transformation, the normal cell's first step towards cancer is an evolutionary response to a chronic sublethal injury. The cancer phenotype develops as a survivalist mechanism that requires rejecting multicellular life. This is the, this is the seed of cancer. Tran- uh, so that's transformation, progression. The nutrient sensors insulin, mTOR, and AMP kinase influence growth factors uh, availability and provide a fertile environment for cancerous proliferation. This is the soil that he talks about. And finally, metastasis. The early shedding of cancer cells into the bloodstream exposes the the cells to intense selective pressure for survival. As the primary tumor site is reseeded by its own progeny, natural selection pressure favors more uh, aggressive and primitive traits. So that is Cancer Paradigm 3.0, the evolutionary model uh, of cancer, transformation, uh, progression, and metastasis. So I'm going to end the podcast here. Uh, This was part five of the Cancer Code. I mainly discussed the Warburg effect, invasion and metastasis, and Jason Fung's Cancer Paradigm 3.0. The next and final podcast will be about uh, ways to kind of like treat cancer, like these immunotherapies, these new up and coming, uh, you know, treatment implications. Uh, So we're going to go into that. And we're going to go into a few other things like um, dietary determinants of cancer and other stuff like that. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you learned something. Again, please leave a uh, review. Uh, Send me a DM if you enjoyed the podcast. And thank you for listening.